0: What up, fam? Welcome to Big Ray's Garage Grind, mental health edition. My name is Ray Roberts. Most of you guys know me as a former Seattle Seahawk or Detroit Lion. I was a three-time All-ACC football player at the University of Virginia, two-time Jacobs Blocking Trophy award winner as the top offensive lineman in the ACC, was the first-team All-American, and I was the 10th pick in the 1992 NFL draft by the Seattle Seahawks. And don't let me forget, my jersey's also retired at the University of Virginia. I'm here today with two of my good friends, Michael Bumpus and Michael Sean Dugar, to have a great conversation. Ray, tell me something. Why are we here? I would say, Mike, that the reason we're here, and this is uh, really true and, and special to my heart, is that uh, I want to bring awareness and, um, and my voice to something that's meaningful and purposeful, more than just uh, who's the best football player, who's the best football team, but more around our mental health and our approach to mental health, the importance of mental health. And I also want to be an inspiration to um, to other athletes to feel free and to feel confident and, and comfort, comfortable talking about their mental health and taking care of themselves that way.
1: Well, you got, a, you got a heck of a story, Ray. And I think to really get to know you, we got to get to know who you are and where you're from. So tell me about your childhood in Asheville, North Carolina. Holler at me.
0: Well, uh, you know, Asheville, North Carolina is a little town up in the mountains of western North Carolina. So we're probably about maybe 60 miles from the Tennessee border, so about 100 miles from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, not too far, maybe an hour from Boone, where Appalachian State is. It just, you know, the, the, the world beaters in college football nowadays. <laughs> Uh, Not a a whole lot going on in the town. I was raised uh, in a family with three older sisters, so I'm the youngest of four, Uh, my mom and dad, and my grandfather. Uh, We all lived in West Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and we always called it West Hill. So you can (laughs) imagine why why we called it West Hill. It wasn't the easiest place to live, but I grew up in like this little 700-square-foot home with seven people. So I shared a, a bedroom with my grandfather, my three sisters, Shared the room, and then my parents slept on a pullout couch in the in the family room. So, uh, real small town, not a whole lot going on at the time that I grew up. There was a lot of racial tension there, uh, so just there were just parts of town you didn't go at night, and parts of towns so where they didn't go at night. And so, it just kind of that kind of ebb and flow about it. Uh, played high school football there, played little league football there. Um, you know, just a town. It's kind of like a sleepy town. It's a, like a retirement town. There's a lot of money there, but it's mostly money from people that are retiring there. Uh, not a whole lot of industry there, so it's not a whole lot to do there. So, uh, But playing sports was my thing and my way out.
1: What was your relationship like with, with your, your siblings?
0: Well, it was interesting because uh, a lot of times, you know, that whole phrase, uh, we all we have, we all we got, we all we need, like yeah. that stuff, that's what it was, man. It was just like the four of us finding a way to survive not only just uh you know in our neighborhood and what you know just in the city but you know also our family like our family is pretty chaotic you know my mom and dad you know and I'll just say this off the bat before we get into it I freaking love my parents I love my my sisters uh there's no other family I would rather have than the ones I grew up with and and the parents that I had uh but there were things that happened along the way that just weren't so great and that's just a that's just a lived experience but it doesn't change what my heart feels for my family but uh, grew up, both my parents were alcoholics, and uh, I have two of my three older sisters. One of my my older sister wasn't um, a drug addict, but was got caught up in the drug game. And then uh, my middle sister had, has been an addict for quite a while. And so, uh, just dealing with that kind of chaos in the family was always tough. Like always trying to find a way to uh, get yourself noticed, you know, and trying to find a way to protect yourself, trying to find a way to be safe to emotionally, physically all these different things. My parents were janitors. My dad was a janitor at the middle school. My mom was a janitor at the elementary school. So we didn't have tons of money, you know, but they hustled to make ends meet. My dad must've had 50 million jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, like he worked on cars, he fixed the house, he cut the grass, he did all these different kinds of things to make ends meet for us. So, uh, so we were always, uh, we
1: had what we needed, but it was a battle each and every day to get what we needed. Talk about your dad, man, and, and him having multiple jobs. When you're growing up as a kid, did you see your dad as, like, a hero? You know, because I, I remember growing up looking at my dad doing all this stuff, and I'm thinking, man, how, how does he how does he do it all? How would how'd you view your dad? Yeah, my dad was the coolest
0: dude ever, and I think a lot of, of who I am comes from him. This dude knew everybody, talked to everybody. And you know me, Bump and Mike. Like, I, I talked to everybody. Everyone's my best friend. And uh, my dad was the same way, so whether it was the – the The brothers at the garage in downtown Asheville, or or the the white dudes up in the back of the mountains, where they fight a- anything that could that had four legs. <laughs> they fight with <laughs> dogs, <laughs> pigs, whatever it is. And so he would, you know, he knew all those good old boys too. And so uh, I always looked up to my dad that way. My dad was six four and about two hundred and forty pounds, you know, and uh, always worked with his hands. So real kind of. Not big muscles, but strapping kind of a dude. Grown man strength. Grown man strength. Yeah. I've seen my dad lift trans transmissions up, uh, but he can't bench press 135 <laughs> pounds. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, my dad was a um, was like a friend to everybody. You know that that whole thing of of uh, uh, master. What is it? Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. That's kind of that was my dad, and so he worked on cars. He cut grass. He, you know cut wood for families, all these other kind knew everybody, treated and at the ja- as a janitor at the middle school, he was like the counselor in the school. So a lot of times kids would get in trouble, they sent them to talk to my dad versus sending them to talk to the counselor or kid'd get in trouble and be like, Don't call my parents, let me go talk to Mr. Roberts, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so that's kinda of who that's who my dad was that, you know, uh, you know, growing up, you know, that I wanted to be like, that part of it. You know, but, you know, my dad was a tough dude as well, you know, didn't you know, was raised by his grandfather uh, never graduated middle school, you know, just kind of hustled his way, uh, you know, through life. And so, you know, that's a lot of stress and things you're under. So that stuff manifests itself in different ways. And so for us, you know, my dad was never, uh, like, physically abusive with me, but him and my mom would get in, into their fights and uh, and they'd have their, you know, those sins. So those are you know, parts of my dad that wasn't so pleasant, you know, and that, you know, I t- always try to figure out, like, why is this happening how how can I stop it? But my dad was a big dude, so how how do I how do I stop yeah. that? You know? Yeah.
1: So I feel like I, I understand who your dad is. Hard worker, always had a job, knew everybody, was cool with everybody, and was the, the guy that people can confide in at school. So what's your mom? What's her role in the, the making of Ray Roberts? Well,
0: my mom my mom had this tremendous smile, like unbelievable, like I get the dimples and all that stuff from my mom. Just unbelievably uh uh, beautiful smile, and then my mom was like the person that would uh, give like the kids in the community like they could have anything we had, and we had nothing, Mike. When I when I tell you we had nothing, nothing, and so like like for us we would my mom would make a pot of beans and some coleslaw and cornbread. That's what we ate on the entire week. Right. So it wasn't like each day we got a different meal. Sometimes that happened, and then on Fridays, uh, if if she <laughs> she hadn't. Use the money to buy a bunch of alcohol. We might have like some pork chops. That was like our steak. Like we we're eating big when we got my mom made pork chops and gravy and, and some biscuits and things like that. But uh, my mom was a sweet lady. Uh, just just real a lot like my dad too. Just real personable. But my mom had this streak in her, like this mean streak. Like once you cross her, it's it's over. It's, <laughs> you're not once you cross the line, you don't get you don't get the second chance to get back across the line. So yeah. one time, um, we used to have these. Uh, We call them poker parties, you know, and so people nowadays call them casino nights. (laughs) But it was the way we made extra money to get food. And so me and my dad would fish a lot. We'd uh, make all these fish sandwiches, and then we'd have these uh, poker, and I don't know if I'm sure you guys are familiar with tips and pulling numbers and all that kind of stuff. We have all that stuff going on in the house, you know, selling alcohol. selling. So me and my sisters are, like, serving everybody, collecting all the money and all this stuff. So one day my dad was away, and we are having one of these things, and so I was sitting between the two poker tables, and every time the deal came past me, I have to take money out of the pot for the family, for the house. And so I reached in there, and this one dude, Albert, grabbed my arm. And Albert was this dude that had been in prison a lot, so he had, like, this prison body. He was all yoked up. I'm probably, like, 12 years old, and I don't know what to do. I'm just like, dude, my dad told me to get this. And he's like, you know, hey, he ain't getting this money, blah, 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 blah. So then I just put the money down. Little kid, I'm crying. I go to my mom. She's like, what's wrong? Like I said, I went to get the money. Albert. Grab my hand. And she goes, what? She goes, Albert, grab your hand. I'm like, yeah. Albert put his hands on you? (laughs) I'm (laughs) like, yes. Dude, it was over after that. She went and grabbed Albert by the back of his collar and the seat of his pants, threw him out the door of our house. And when he hit the ground, me and my sisters were just all on top of him. Like, (laughs) oh, dude, we were just giving him the business. And then my dad came home and was like, man, like, why is this big, like, dent in the door? We had, like, the, the aluminum screen door. So, like, yeah, Albert. Grab Junior, and that's what they – they called me Junior at home, named after my dad. And he goes, what? Like, Albert Grab Junior. I'm like, yeah. Albert put his hands on him? Yeah, okay, I'll be right back. Went up the street. <laughs> Albert had to take it again. <laughs> like, because <laughs> it was just not happening. Like, you, like we can fight amongst each other, right. but ain't nobody putting, his, putting their hands on us. So that, that was kind of like my mom. My mom had big forearms. Like, uh, my body is basically my mom's body, mm-hmm. except my mom was maybe 5'6", and I'm 6'6". Six, six. But I'm, this is exactly how she's mom's. Living. Yeah. So who was responsible then for getting you into football? Uh, well, that's interesting because I think that's part of this whole journey. To be honest with you, Mike, because um, there was so much chaos going on in our house. You know, like all oh, the fighting, and my sisters were you know doing their thing in and out, and uh, and so here's me like just trying to figure out how do you process all this stuff that's going on. So you have all this pent up emotions and feelings, and at that age, you don't even know what that means. You know what I'm saying? Now I can speak to it, but back then I was just like, I don't even, I just felt nervous and scared a lot, you know? And so I went to this, uh, I had a cousin that was playing football, Little League football, and I went to a game, and I was maybe five years old, six years old, and every time he made a play, people were patting him on the back, hitting him on the helmet, like, you know, high-fiving him or whatever, and I was just like, something in my little uninformed, undeveloped brain it was like, you need some of that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I remember being about six years old, and I was standing on the sideline tugging on the shirt of his football coach saying, like, hey, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And he's pushing me back. You know, my cousin's probably like 14, 15 years old. They're pushing me back. And so the next year I started playing football. And it just seems like the more uh, ass I kicked in football, <laughs> the more adoration I got from the adults around me. And so I was just like, okay. Like, so, I, like, I can just come out here and I can beat the hell out of people and people pat me on the back for it. That was stuff I wasn't getting at home. I wasn't telling – people weren't telling me, like, how great I was or, hey, good job and all that kind of stuff. It was just too much going on. Just everyone is into their own stuff. And so that's what kind of got me into football is watching my cousin play and then looking at, like, honestly, it wasn't even like him hitting people or scoring touchdowns. It was just like watching how people reacted to him. And I'm like, I need some of that. And so that's what drove me into football. And then it seems like the better I played, the further I went, the more <laughs> the more pats on the back I got, the more, you know, attention I was getting, adoration I was getting, and that just kind of drove me to be even better at it. So you weren't even necessarily playing football because
1: you looked up to some heroes or right. anything or trying to make the league or college. You wanted adoration, validation perhaps, and an outlet to kick people's ass.
0: Absolutely. Like, because, like like I said, like, you know, my parents – there's so much going on. Like when you're trying to hustle and make money and all this other kind of stuff and you got alcohol problems and fighting and all these different kind of drugs and everything that's going on, there's so much chaos that's happening that uh, emotionally a lot of people aren't there for you, you know what I'm saying? And it's like you, nowadays I can look back at it and say, like, man, like, I wish mental health was a thing back then. You know, like, or it, I'm sure it was a thing, but the, the attention to it was a thing back then because it could have helped my family a lot, you know. Uh, but, um, but not being able to get that stuff at home, that was the only place I knew do where to get it. Like I mean like I'm telling you, like, you know, guys coming up and pat me on the back. Like I, I was a running back, believe it or not. And so I scored <laughs> I scored a lot of touchdowns and so I got like a lot of foot long hot dogs, like every time I scored a touchdown. Like so, so I, I essentially ate myself out of out of being a running back. But uh but like that kind of stuff, I just wasn't getting that level of like hugs and pats on the back and, and uh just like we see you. Like I used to always say like uh all this stuff was happening in my house and I felt like I was standing on the top of the mountain going, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me and nobody could see it. You know, but when I was on the football field, people saw it, you know, and so that's that's kinda what I thrived. That's what I wanted, I needed in my life was that. And I didn't know at the time that, you know, you're I'm probably dealing with all types of trauma, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but at the time it was just like that just feels good when I do it and it feels different than when I'm at home and that's what I want.
1: So it it sounds like You know, you and I, we're we're older men now, and there's this thing going around called love language, right? (laughs) Read the book. Here was your love language. So it sounds like your love language was words of affirmation and just, like, affection. And you necessarily weren't getting that at home. So you got in that football field, and it it filled a void, something that you didn't even know. That that you needed at the time,
0: right? Yeah, and and I would say, yeah, if I if I had to put words to it nowadays, you know, I would use like the words of affirmation or even quality time. Like yeah. like my 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 parents would be in the same room with me, but they're not present. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like my dad is like worrying about work or paying bills or fixing the water pipe that just burst. My mom is trying to come home from work and cook, and then she she's drinking, and my dad is playing poker, all this other kind of stuff that's going on, you know. <laughs> My sisters have dudes coming in and out of the back window. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> all this stuff is going on, and then there's me. And it's just like, man, like how do you how do you find a place for yourself in the middle of all this? And on the football field, I had a place. It was a it was a family. I would imagine that, you know, it's kind of what draws people to games a lot, you know, like is that you have this place where you belong or where you kind of fit in people acknowledge you, whether it's healthy or not, you've been kind of acknowledged that way. And that's kind of what football became to me. It just became this place. Nowadays, I guess they would call it a safe place, but it became a place where uh, I could kind of express and release some of this stuff I was feeling in my body. But then also where uh, I got to get people, like I said, to be like, man, look at, look at this kid. We want this kid on our team or, you know, he's going to be the starting this or the starting that, or he does this really well. Like, I just wasn't getting a whole lot of that, you know, from
1: home. So you found your safe place on that football field. You mentioned your mom, how she took care of everybody. Your dad, he's grinding, he's working, he knows everybody. But there are also some things that were happening at home, some ab- abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. Kind of walk us through that.
0: Yeah, so like I said, you know, my dad was uh, doing the best he could. You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, nowadays, uh, you know, like when I can look back at it, you know, it you know, doesn't make me happy, but, you know, my dad was a – was a really demanding dude, you know, especially of my mom. You know, my mom worked hard, would have to come home, cook, and then like if one corner of the cornbread was burnt, my dad would just lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of the meal can be like awesome, it's perfect, but it's just one yeah. piece that wasn't right, or if it was didn't have it done fast enough, or all those different kinds of things. You know, it wasn't like we had a big house to clean and nothing like that. It was always a mess anyway. But, uh, but my dad was like really demanding that way. And, you know, nowadays, thinking about all the stuff that he was, the pressure he was under, I can see it in a different light. But, you know, they they would go out and party on Fridays and Saturdays, and uh, it got to the point where when they would come home, I could tell just by the tone in which the door closed on the car if I needed to start finding somewhere to hide because they were going to start fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, And I'm, talk, I'm talking about, like, yelling at each other I'm talking about fist fighting, like punching each other. Beating each other, you know. My dad hit my mom. My mom fighting back. All these different kinds of things. And uh, you know, just when you're a little kid and you're watching this stuff, you know, happen to your mom. Even though, like, I don't. It's hard to say who. My dad should not have been hitting my mom. Right. But, you know, my mom was hitting my. You know, my my mom was doing some stuff too. It and was so, fighting. right, they were fighting. And so, but I just always felt like I could never put myself in a position to help my mom because I was little. My dad was this big dude. And my dad was a fighter. No one fought my dad. Nobody. Like, in my neighborhood, there would be fights going on. There was this big dude named Big John, and he was about 400 pounds. He could knock anybody out. Golden Gloves champ would not fight my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad was like that dude. And so this is the – you know, this is a dude that's, like, fighting my mom. And so uh it was really hard for me. He never – uh like, I – <laughs> I got caught stealing a matchbox car out of Kmart one time. <laughs> and my dad, like, gave me a whipping for that. That was the only time he, my dad ever touched me. But, like, I've seen him, like, you know slap my sisters or something like that. Um, but um, uh, so that was really hard. It was really hard to, to deal with and know what to do with. And so as I grew up, it was just like, man, like, what can I do to protect my mom? And then the fact that you couldn't do anything was tremendously uh, tough to deal with, you know, because all I could do is just – really just tuck tail and run because i'm like mm. i i can't deal with that dude that dude will smash me you know and so uh part of my i know we'll get to it but part of my first year at university of virginia playing football was just to prepare myself to fight my dad you know so it was my dad like i said at the beginning love him to death there's a lot of things that uh helped me be who i am uh but there's things uh about my dad that wasn't so pleasant you know and that that was one of could you talk to anybody about what was going on at the time? You know what, man? It's like uh, in our neighborhood, that's just kind of what it was. You know what I'm saying? Like you saw husbands, like, fighting their wives and stuff all the time. That's just kind of what it, you know, like it's almost like what was expected. You know what I'm saying? It's just like our neighborhood was just a bunch of dysfunction. And uh, it was a small little neighborhood in the middle of this. is an African-American neighborhood in the middle of a larger, like, middle-class white neighborhood. But we were like this little poor section or – People don't like when I say poor but under served or, you know, under resourced uh part of it. And uh but that's just kind of what you saw all the time. Like you just saw women getting beat all the time and you saw dudes doing selling drugs or back then it was mostly weed and all this stuff, drinking, robbing, stealing, like all those kinds of things. Uh we used to have this dude <laughs> we used to have this dude that used to steal um the trailway buses all the time and just come Police chasing him. He just ride through, the, through ne- the neighborhood, hand out the window in the big <laughs> trailway bus, just like coming down the road. We had this other dude that used to drink a lot in the neighborhood. We called him Goat. And this is when they had the uh, alarm, the the fire alarms on the telephone poles. He would pull them all the time and just watch the fire trucks come and stuff like that. So it was just like a lot of chaos going on in our in our uh, neighborhood. The one the one like combining force was or the two was we had a basketball court. And there was a football field. Mm. And, like, that would be the place where the whole neighborhood kind of gravitated towards. But other than that, it's a, it's a neighborhood full of craziness, cra- chaos. So it really wasn't. If you go to someone and be like, man, this is what's happening in my house, they'll be like, yep, that's what's happening in my house too. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, in that school, you don't know what to say because you don't want your dad to get arrested. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just didn't know, you know what to do. So not only so you get to the University of Virginia. Uh, how do you end up there? Uh, well, it's an interesting story too because uh, you know I was playing football, obviously, and um, it's like right before my eleventh grade year, I went to my coach. I'm like, "Yo, man, like, got all these letters from these colleges want me to come play football there, but we can't afford college." And he was like, "Ray, bring me the letters." And so I had like these two trash bags full of letters. I take them in, and he's like, "Dude, they're gonna pay for your college." And I'm like, "What does that mean?" And he's <laughs> like, "He's like, they give you a scholarship." I'm like, "What's well, a scholarship?" So it took my coach probably like two weeks explained to me what all this whole process. Well, then I had to go explain that to my dad. My dad was like, nah, bro, that bill is coming. Like if you <laughs> not, not set me up, you don't get anything for free. He's like free lunch isn't even for free. He's like, so we, you ain't going to college, bro. You're going to have to go to military, grab McDonald's or something, but you ain't, you know, you're not doing this college thing. I'm like, dad, I'm telling you, they say they'll pay for everything. And uh, so then finally got my dad on board and then took some trips, you know, did all that. I had originally committed to play at Tennessee and then uh, had one trip left. Uh, I was gonna come out to visit UCLA, and I figured my parents would never see me to be able to see me play out at UCLA. So I canceled that trip and took this trip to Virginia. And Virginia had lost to William and Mary, and I was just mm-hmm. like, I was playing defensive end at the time. I'm like, yeah, I can play here next year. So when I ride home, I told my dad, "Hey, I think I'm gonna go to Virginia," and he pulled over like, "What? Like we just went to see Tennessee, Auburn, hundred thousand people at the time, Virginia." stadiums like maybe 47,000 and he's like I'm like but dad I can play like right away up here and these dudes just kind of fit my mentality better so that's kind of how I ended up at uh at the University of Virginia so Virginia not only
1: gave you a chance to continue the football thing um but you like you mentioned earlier it was a place where you could get right so you could stand up to pops oh
0: yeah absolutely so like like no one ever really knew this but this is the when I got to college, our strength coach was this dude named John Gamble. And he used to be, like, the world's strongest drug-free powerlifter. Dude was, like, maybe six-foot tall, chest-like, I mean, huge chest, big arms. Could pick up 80-pound dumbbells, like, you know, just with one hand. And just be like, hey, you need this, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, And when I saw him, I'm like, okay, this dude is our strength coach. I'm going to be strong like him. And then I'm going to go home and I'm taking on my dad. And so I would work out like three days, three times a day. I get up in the morning, I work out with John. I come in and work out uh, like around lunchtime, and then I work out after practice, all just to get strong enough so that when I got home on Christmas break, my dad would know that I was in the fight, because I knew I couldn't. I still wasn't (laughs) able to win the (laughs) fight, but I wanted him to know that I was in the fight. And I'm just like, don't, you know, I don't want him to ever touch my mom again, and I want him to know that I'm in the fight. And so I get home on Christmas, and I, I'm. I can. F- I took a trailway bus, by the way. It's a five-hour drive. It took 24 hours on a trailway bus because, you know, every stop is a bus stop. Mm-hmm. So by the time I get home, dude, like I'm just like I'm ready to go. Like I'm just waiting for my dad to even look at my mom the wrong way, and I'm just going all in, even if it's just like a quick little sucker punch just to be able to say <laughs> I got one in. And uh, and when we got home, something was different. It was just like, wow, like this the feeling, the vibe here is different, and I can feel it. And so I'm waiting for the weekend to come, like, oh, it's going to happen. They're going to do their thing, and then da-da-da-da, and I'm going to be able to help my mom. And while I was in college, my dad had completely given his life to Christ. And so from, from that point on, never touched my mom again. And so I, I lived a lot of the rest of my adult life with that ready-to-fight thing. My dad in me, it never went away, and I never knew what to do with it. It was, it was just always there. I always wanted to defend my mom's honor and And never got a chance to um the way sorry the way that I wanted to uh because she deserved it and i and i and I'm the only son and so i was I was never able to do that, you know what i'm saying so um it was hard, it was tough it was it was tough um uh, playing football, been in this industry where you're supposed to be this big tough dude, and having this emptiness inside of you going. But you never got to defend your mom. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and so I struggled with that for a long, long time. For alone by myself. Nobody knew my the the lady that ended up becoming my wife didn't know uh, my coaches, teammates. Nobody knew that. But it was just something that I carried with me for a, a really long time.
1: When when you got home and you saw that your dad had changed and the vibe was different. How did that change your relationship with your dad and your mom? Uh,
0: well, my dad then treated my mom like a queen. Like my, if my mom just looked at the refrigerator, he'd just be up. Like, what do you want? And my dad would cook. He's a great cook. He would cook for. Her. He would clean. Like all the whatever my mom needed, he would try to provide for. Her, to the point where uh, my girlfriend, who became my wife, uh, she and her family—that's the only—that's the only, only race senior they knew. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so they thought my dad was the greatest person in the world. And it would just freaking tear me up inside. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys don't know. You guys have no idea what this dude is capable of, you know? And so that just kind of ate at me, you know, all the time. And um, and then I remember one time I told my wife at the time, you know, just kind of like what it was like. And it was just kind of like, they're like, you're crazy. There's no way. I'm like, yeah, this is that dude, you know? And uh, and so it was just, it became hard because I couldn't trust him what I was seeing because mm-hmm. I just kept waiting for something, something was going to go down. Or I would like, every time I would see my mom, I'd be like l- trying to see if I see any bruises or anything. Cause I'm like, there's no way that this dude just stop, And he did. He just stopped. He stopped smoking cigarettes and weed. He stopped drinking. He stopped gambling. He stopped hitting, you know, hitting my mom and just kind of gave was all into the church stuff and just was that way for the rest of his life. And that, and it was uh uh really difficult to deal with. Like even, um, it was 1997, was playing for the Detroit Lions. as a Wednesday practice. And they called me off the field and was like, hey, uh, something's going down with your dad. And I'm like, uh, what's going on? My dad had gone to the hospital for a routine checkup. He had diabetes. And while he was there, he had a stroke. And so, um, they, you know, he was, in a, he was uh, in a coma. And so, on Thursday, um, uh, Mr. Ford put me on this private flight plane, flew me and my family to Asheville, I was there for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then my dad was uh they were gonna he was still hooked up to all these tubes and they were asking me to make all these decisions. My sisters wouldn't do it, my mom wouldn't do it. And um and so then I was like, Man, like what would my you know, people always say like, oh man, like my loved one would have wanted me to stay here and be with my family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Man, my dad would want me to go play football. And so on Saturday I flew back to Detroit. They they When I landed, they were like, oh, yeah, your dad is doing better. They're moving him to like a, out of ICU into like a regular room. And it's about an hour and a half drive from uh, the airport to where I lived in Detroit. By the time I got home, my dad had died. And so now I'm in Detroit on Saturday the night before the game trying to decide if I should play this game or if I should go home. And so I was like, you know what? My dad would want me to play this game. And so I, we're playing Atlanta Falcons. Second quarter, we scored a touchdown. This uh, defensive end, Chuck Smith, from University of Tennessee, punched me in the stomach. And then I just started – just all of that emotion Mm. just came out. And I just – just throwing punches at everybody. Yelled at the referee. I was ready to fight the referee. They kicked me out of the game in the second quarter. And then uh, Mr. Ford said, hey, man, grab your family, go home. And then we we went home, buried my dad on uh, that Tuesday, and then was back in Detroit on Thursday, played the rest of the season. Didn't miss a game. But there was a point during that season where this is, like, my first, like, encounter with this mental health thing. There was, like, where I was aware of something. And um, I was just, like, in games just thinking about my dad, like, and the ball was snapped. And I'm like, oh, crap, like, I got to block, you know, these pass rushers that are trying to kill the quarterback. So I go to the team, like, dude, like, I'm having all these thoughts about my dad and the games. I need to talk to somebody. And they were just, at the time, the mental health thing wasn't a deal. And they're just, like, looking at me like, uh, like, are you broken or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and it's like, the, you know, they didn't know what to do. And and uh, and so I ended up meeting with this dude in Detroit uh, in the middle of the night, downtown Detroit. And because uh, they didn't want people to see me coming coming and going and stuff. And in this in this therapy session, this dude told me to write a letter to my dad. And I'm just like, my dad is dead. Like, what do you mean write a letter to my dad? And they, And so then. Maybe a week or two later, I uh, woke up in the middle of the night and I just started writing. And I was just—it was just all anger, all that pent up didn't get to defend my mom. Stuff was just coming out on paper, and I just let it flow. And I probably wrote maybe eight or ten pages front and back, just going off on my dad, just just vomiting everything I could think of. And um, uh, and then at the end of it, you know, I wasn't a real spiritual dude at the time. I couldn't figure out how to end it. I didn't want to say. Like I love you or like it did that didn't feel right. And so I said, I forgive you and I didn't even know what forgiveness meant. But that's what I said. And it seems like when I said that, the this idea of like this dude I wanted to beat the hell out of mm-hmm. just kinda went away. And then the dude that was always making sure that my grades were right, never missed anything I was in, whether it's a play or football game, basketball game made sure I got a practice, like, made sure I had a roof over my head. Like, that dude then was a dude that I could remember. You know what I'm saying? It, the, the forgiveness allowed me to see the goodness in my dad and put away the, 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 some of the bad things that, that, uh, that was part of his life. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Big Rage Garage Grind Mental Health Edition. Uh, look forward to having you guys listen to the second episode where we'll dive a little bit deeper into uh, life after football and my mental health journey we <laughs>